0: in Las Vegas called Making It the Hard Way. According to the papers last week, it's a lot harder than we think. Uh, There's one fellow in this town who continually makes making it the hard way seem easy. He suffers from an old theatrical disease that's very rare called total talent, Mr. Sammy Davis Jr. Thank you very much. Uh, I would like at this time to present the scoring awards, and I thought... What? Uh, We've already had a Jimmy Stewart impression. (laughs) Who did it? Jimmy Stewart. Well, I never really thought he did it too well anyway. (laughs) But in that case, all you right, marks here Now listen to me, you understand? I want to have you know something like Now, I'm gonna present this award. Please. Edward G. comes out next. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to sincerely say that it's really one of the great three. On this network? The nominees for the best music score, adaptation, or treatment are John Green for Bye Bye Birdie, Andre Previn for Irma Laduce, Le Lee Stevens for A New Kind of Love, Maurice Girard for Sundays in Cybele, and George Brune for The Sword in the Stone. And the winner is... Mm-hmm. John Addison for Tom Jones. Oh, I, I am. I, they gave me the wrong envelope. Wait till the NAACP hears about this. <laughs> this time, <laughs> The winner is Andre Previn for Irma La Deuce. It's always a, a great pleasure to work for Mr. Wilder and Mr. Diamond. I thank them. I'm very grateful to the orchestra who played my score so beautifully, and most of all, thank you. The nominees for the best music score, substantially original are Alec North for Cleopatra, Dmitri Tiomkin for 55 days at Peking, Alfred Newman, Ken Darby for How the West Was Won, Ernest Gold for It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, and John Addison for Tom Jones. Guess who the winner is. Accepting for John Addison, Elmer Bernstein.
1: And the Oscar nominee for best mess up is uh, Elmer Bernstein. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Now, how about everything is going our way? You know what I'm saying? Lots of high drama, lots of nonsense. It's uh, It's been one of the best months so far. High drama and action and sporting events and awards. And it's all coming to fruition. It's going to be an awesome year. What I'm saying is it's, like, such an awesome year so far because, I mean, what's been happening is just chaos and nonsense and all for just a couple of millionaires, you know? So who does it affect? No one. Who cares? So it's beautiful. Like, you know, nobody's going to die from all the action and, and, and fun we've, you know, been privy to in 2017. I mean, if you include Donald Trump winning in 2016 but technically taking office in 2017, it's... I mean, if this is any precedence to what's going on this year 2017 is going to be awesome which makes a lot of sense for it be the year of the just Cow. because there's a lot of hijinks and upsets right that's where i come in that's where your pal dave just Cow comes in hijinks and upsets yes score well hey everybody how you doing it's a brand new podcast it's a brand new month march 1st the anniversary of the first time dave just Cow had penetration sex with a girl and when i say penetration i mean actual penetration like you know, I, I, I finally realized I was that, I was like, okay, that's definitely what sex was. Because I'm pretty sure the first time I did it, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was actually inside. But I remember it was March 1st. But I'm not going to tell you the year because, you know, I was 40. So I don't want to be embarrassed by it. But um, March 1st, my sexual anniversary. Uh, I'd like to, th- I think February 28th was the end of my sexual anniversary. That was the last time I had sex. Right. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway. That's why I always remember March 1st. But even though it's the, uh, the anniversary of, of the first uh, penetration, uh, I am alone. <laughs> Again, naturally, today, because I am hungover, because last night, February 28th, was the godfather at the Village Underground. Perhaps some of you have seen some of the photos Online already, it was a banner evening, even though uh, I'm obviously upset as usual, but I know it went well. I can't help myself uh, as an author of uh, a quality piece of work. I don't like to see my my words getting... But, but seriously, uh, I know that sounds ridiculous, but, you know, you put a lot of time into a project, and you just hope it goes well, and if your actors can't communicate... Uh, what needs to be done, you get upset. Now, what I'm saying is that everybody was great. Really, there was no there was nobody that was not cool. Uh, but, you know, again, as we've talked about three or four times before, there's the one or two parts where somebody not just flubs. I don't care if they flub. I know that happens, but like they're just not getting the way it's supposed to be done. But again, you got one rehearsal. Would I like to spend time with them and do it over again like they can do on television or in the movie? Sure, I would. But what are you going to do? you know? So otherwise, I think the audience was very pleased. I think everybody was in a really good mood. Uh, maybe it went long, but I don't think the audience thought that because I was checking, you know, I was looking. I wasn't in a lot of it, so it was easy for me to just kind of watch from the stage. There's a lot of parts where, like, maybe two less... Uh, exciting people were on stage I was very uptight How this was going to go But it all worked out And I think it was a very pleasant evening I'm just going to take a little sip Like I said I'm hungover I have a little coffee mm. um, But it was a really great night uh, My boy Scott Moskowitz Ronald Pledge came down Which was really great And that's so nice of them to do Really makes me happy I know Scott listens to the show all the time So thank you so much for coming down. I really, really appreciate that. It's really great to see you. You know, the problem is a lot of people come down. I don't get to spend that much time with them. Especially, uh, you know, Scott, he's got a family. He lives in Jersey. So he's got to go back and I get that. Um, my friend John Vitti from Boston Globe and his friend Sean, great guy. Uh, they came down from Boston again, taking the train. Uh, at least I get to hang out with them for a little bit. Because they're taking the train back at like 2.40. So we get to have a couple of drinks. There's so many nice people that I... Uh, don't get to see very often, and they don't have time to get a drink because a lot of them live in New Jersey or whatever. Uh, which, and it takes me a while to clean up everything. In fact, that's the one part I don't like where everybody's like kind of hanging around and they're like, are you ready? And I'm like, hey, 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 I'll be ready when I'm ready. I got to pack up everything. I got to see what gets thrown out or what I'm taking home. You know what I'm saying? I gotta. I mean, it's like I, gotta, I concentrate when I get there, and I got to concentrate when I leave to make sure I have everything, and then I can drink. You know, but until that's all taken care of, I don't need everybody hanging around and uh, saying, like, what's taking so long? I'm like, Wait, why don't you shut up what's taking so long? What's taking so long is it's taking this long? And that's the way it is. Now, go meet me at the bar. You know what I mean? What do you want me to say? And then we have a nice drink. I was out till 4 in the morning again. I could have gone out longer, but I said no. I got to go to work. Even though, you know, I want to go out longer when something like that happened. But the drinks weren't happening yesterday. All right. Are you serious if my cat's gonna throw up again I'm gonna be really upset because then then it's obviously she's allergic to the podcast it but I couldn't uh I had you know plenty of drinks I had about five beers two shots uh and then I just couldn't drink anymore and I don't know why I mean I wanted to maybe I didn't have anything to eat um maybe gotten a little high or something maybe that would have helped but it's all right I mean what is that i'm I'm upset because I didn't go out for because I knew I could have been out till six in the morning and that's like kind of cool you know when you're out. Till really late, because you do a show and everything, but I, I do have to work, and I am you know fifty <laughs> so going home is not a horrible plan, but I don't know you know the way I always look at it is I'm doing a show i'm like i'm gonna get stinking drunk afterwards because that's what good because I'm always uptight, I'm nervous uh but before i uh tell you more about nervousness and all that kind of stuff, I just want to say about uh, some of the people in the show I'm gonna play. The entire thing next week on the podcast, episode four, Sonny should have used the easy pass lane, by the way, came up with the title for five. I announced it uh, yesterday on the, uh, in the live show, which was great. Um, I think I came up with a really good title. It is called episode five, keep an eye out for Mo Green. <laughs> ha! Keep an eye out for Mo Green. Well, there it is. And that will be the fifth and final episode of The Godfather Part One episode five it's so confusing but that is the story i think uh people said last night was the best one i still think three was a little tighter but maybe four had more laughs and you know who was very good was our friend rachel feinstein she was outstanding first of all she looked amazing in her dress as apollonia that is something you won't be able to see unfortunately on the audio the uh the thing she was doing to uh, Dan Natterman playing Michael, the, the look she was giving him, it was very hot and sexy and funny at the same time. I have to say, it was uh, really good. And she improvised a lot, which was fine. And she did good, uh, the, you know, and then uh, so she did a really good job, like a really good job, and made it really, really funny. And I was very pleased with her performance. Our friend Irene Bremis, uh, Her only flaw was that she looked too hot. She was dressed in a really tight, short dress and she looked gorgeous. And, you know, she's a trainer. And in fact, she trained me on Sunday. She's been trying to help me with like the kettlebell or the kettlebell and some stretching exercises. And she, like, I was sore on Monday, like just a 20 minute, like, workout. And we did, like, I I was like, I I couldn't. She's like, You got to get some orange juice or something. Like, I couldn't walk. I was like, it was a great workout for 20 minutes, uh, very effective. But so that's what she does. She trains people. So her body is amazing. But she's playing Mama Corleone and Mama Vitali, you know, Apollonia's mom, and Lucy Mancini. She's playing three of the ugliest women in, in the history of movies, and she's dressed too hot. So none of her scenes worked because the, all the Lucy Mancini stuff didn't work because Lucy Mancini's disgusting as far as boys are concerned, but she's, you know, as far as girls are concerned too, uh, she's an ugly person because, I'm trying to get myself out of this, because she's cheating with a married man. So there. But, um, so she was too hot to play it, so the Lucy Mancini stuff really wasn't working because Irene was dressed too pretty. Uh, I guess that's my fault. I, you know, I don't want to tell anybody, I don't want to tell a girl to dress down, but maybe I should have. That girl Bethel, who was so amazing in, Christmas Carol, again, did a great job. But, re- but remember, she hasn't seen the film. So I could only send her clips. So she wasn't really getting it. But it doesn't really matter. She was playing Connie perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. We talked about it. And, you know, we just said just a tiny bit of an accent. It's not, a, it's not an Italian accent. It's more of a New York accent. And for playing Kay Adams, she didn't get that at all. But that's a hard one to play, but I just said just play it straight she's um you know naive and you know very prissy in a way very proper so but she she did fine, but it's just funny you know she doesn't know it but noam and I the owner of the comedy seller who is also in the band um you know was talking he's like don't you know you gotta tell these guys next time that they gotta hit the points of where people who know the movie know and I'm like no i did t- I know exactly what you're talking about. And I told them there are certain parts where you need to be just like in the movie, but they don't understand. And it's, you know, we say to each other, I don't understand a, a man or a boy who doesn't know how to do those parts properly because we all worship the Godfather. Every man, the reason why this has been so successful, because every man and lots of women, Know the Godfather backwards and forwards. so I don't understand if I say, "No, no, you got to say the line like this." Papa, jungle, look what I got. Papa, jungle, look what I got. You know, like that. Just, Sonny, just do what I'm telling. You. you know, Tom, just do what I tell you to do. It's whatever. It's cause you're not bringing anything in. That kind of that scene or whatever, it it, it wasn't really working because I don't think they were hitting the the points from the movie. They were doing a fine job, but you know what I'm saying. There's certain points we all know, and we know the way they're said. Like even when Sonny goes, "Touch my sister again." Okay, like that kind of stuff, just the out of breath. Um, He was fine. Uh, That was DC Benny. Did a pretty good job. Uh, No, he did a really good job. People really liked him. In fact, a lot of people just thought he was Russ, uh, which is perfect, which is really funny. They just thought he was Russ, and Russ got taller. Uh, But he did a good job. Uh, I wanted him to go out into the audience and get shot up, uh, but he couldn't because he said by that time his eyes were fried and he couldn't see the stairways. I go... I guess I should have uh, we should have done this twenty years ago and <laughs> we all wouldn't have had any problems. Uh Rachel and Nataman went through the audience with the candy, which was really funny. I had the actual candy and um Nataman was uh good. I think he was talking into the mic. I mean, I stressed it so many times. I even told the microphone guy, listen, when he's talking to the mic, just make it louder. But he did a great job as usual. I'm trying to think who else. The narrator, you know, was new. He's not a comedian. Everybody said he did a good job. Uh He did okay. You know, I just can't seem to get a narrator to do it perfect. And I just have to say it's my fault, I guess, in the way I write. And I don't write well. But if you studied it and you went over it a couple times, you should be able to get it. So... I don't know, but he was. it was nice to see him. Remember, I haven't seen that guy in 30 years, so it was nice to see him, and he he still looks exactly the same, which is really funny, and I was glad he was involved, and I think he was really thrilled to be involved. Um, You know, he put on Facebook today, like, I performed at the Comedy Cellar, and all his friends were like, what? What are you talking about? He like, yeah, no, I wasn't watching. I was performing, because it is exciting. It's exciting. The place was sold out. My... um, Opening was, uh, you know, uh, you know, listen, if you're going to do new material on stage for the I'm not Louis C.K., but uh, if you're going to try new material on stage uh, for the first time in front of the owner of the club and, uh, and a hot crowd, then you deserve what you get. Uh, but it wasn't horrible. I think I, uh, you know, it didn't end very well, but I think in the middle was pretty good. I mean, it was easy because we talk about the Super Bowl, talk about the Oscars. There was a lot of good stuff to talk about. And um, I did the best I could. Now, with practice and if I had worked on it, I think it would have been great. But I don't know. You know, I don't go to comedy clubs. I'd like to, but I don't even think I could go to a comedy club doing the material I do. But I'm finding a way to try and work like what I do in the podcast, like connect stuff. I'm trying to bring that into the comedy, you know, like which would be good. So, so yesterday... I was talking about the story of how... Again, you'll hear this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Because, um, I just I Well, should I? I guess. Um, I was talking about The Six Million Dollar Man and how I... I mean, I'll just tell you really quick how I wanted to see the pilot of The Six Million Dollar. I was so excited when I was a little boy. I couldn't wait to see this show, The Six Million Dollar Man, because it was going to be the greatest show ever. And we had to go away that weekend just like really quick, I'm telling. And, you know, my dad... So he was able to watch it even though we were in the hotel room. So I couldn't watch it. And then afterwards, I came up. on am like, what happened? What happened? He goes, oh, my God. It was amazing. Uh, you know, you know he's, he took this boulder. He's trying to protect his girl. And he threw it at the bad guys. And she's like, how would you do that? And he was like, vitamins. And I was like screaming. I'm like, oh, my God. He said vitamins. I'm like, that's the greatest thing. So then I'm just telling you this because this is what we do in our podcast I looked up who wrote that episode because I was like, and I could have worded it better on stage, you know, a little bit of practice instead of the day before. But um, because it was vitamins, I'm like, well, you know, that's kind of a stupid line, uh, you know, because of of vitamins. They couldn't come up with anything uh, better excuse, but it still worked, you know, for me back then. But then I found out the guy who wrote the episode, his name is Elmer Schwartz, and his brother is Sherwood Schwartz, the creator of Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch and Elmer Schwartz wrote like 60 episodes of Gilligan's Island so the way I figure it you know this is a guy who was just and and he's quoted as saying the writers didn't think Gilligan's Island was believable so they had a lot of time with it and I told them you gotta trust it like you know he's like uh Elmer, I don't think anybody's gonna believe we can make a coconut out of a radio out of a coconut. He goes, They'll believe whatever I tell them to believe. <laughs> that's why I like to picture. He's like some old man, like, hey, you listen to me. And so then when he's writing the six million dollar man, they're like, uh, vitamins, that's all you got? Listen, if it's if I say vitamins, then vitamins it is. Uh, whatever it is. I mean, that's the thing. But you know how I love Connect, so I'm trying to start because yes, there's twenty-two year olds in the audience, twenty-four year olds, twenty-nine year olds. They have no idea who the six million dollar man is. They have no idea what um, television is. <laughs> you know, like they you know it all started where I was like, I love having a DVR. They probably don't even know what that is anymore because everybody cuts the cord and they're all watching their computer. But when you explain it, you know, I think that's the funniest. Like, well, yes, you don't know the six million dollar man, but here's the quick premise. It's a guy. He was an astronaut. He got into an accident and they rebuilt him. And I told you he's got one bionic arm. So if you explain it, maybe that's the key. And then I can talk about all the stuff we talk about on this podcast. And then, uh, you know, I'll be the Jackie Mason of our generation. Uh, Hey, look at the old band telling stories about the old days. (laughs) 70s television. Hey, how about this guy? Hey, old man. What else was on during that time? Oh, there was a show. It's called Charlie's Angels. Now, they had three gorgeous girls. And they were idiots. But uh, this guy, Charlie... He was a, a millionaire, and he said, "I'm going to hire these girls and make them private investigators." So he cleaned them up and taught them how to fight and all that. And then uh, what happened was they solved crimes, and uh, every crime took place in a bikini. It was brilliant. Now this is the kind of show that I would—I don't know—I'm—I don't know what imitation I'm doing. I'm doing a little Jackie, I'm doing a little myself, and I'm doing a little Martin Short of Leonard Cohen, like. And whatever the hell else you want to put in there. Give me a sea, a bouncy sea. Whatever the hell else you want to put in there. A whatever the hell else you want to put in. Uh, Irving Cone, right? That's what he does. Irving Cone. Mm. Anywho, we, uh, and again, I'll explain it next week, but we started off the show with a big Star Wars crawl opening. You know, it's... Uh, with the music and it says it with a video it says the year of the godfather and then it has the empire strikes back scroll except i changed it all to the godfather and i'll read it to you uh, next week when i play the tapes i'm trying to think who else was in it um of interest to us uh why can't i think because it was crowded tom cotter He's uh, you know uh, he's a delightful person. It wasn't a big role for him. Uh, what we what, what was Matteo Lane was brilliant as usual. That guy speaks fluent Italian, so you know there was a lot of Italian. And, oh my God, William Stevenson replacing Mike Pachetti. He was brilliant, and there is our Mike Pachetti. I mean, what I, I got to say, it's a brilliant move on my part because again we had a guy who, you know, instead of Mike Pachetti just being kind of a retard, this guy is just high. So, you know, uh, every time he went off and on stage, you know, he kept forgetting his cues. In fact, he's so high. I, uh, I went on Saturday. Actually, I'll tell you all about that in a second. But I went and I delivered personalized scripts to everyone. I delivered a personalized script. It says the William Stevenson edition, which means all of his parts. The font is bigger. They're highlighted. And this time I was smart because of William. And I put William enters. William exits, so everybody knows you stay on stage until I tell you on the thing that you can go. Um, I'm like, this is my flawless way to deal with William because you remember last time he was sitting in the audience (laughs) and we needed him. He's like, oh, shit. So every line is always like, we got to get some weed, but they loved it. They loved it. He was so funny. He was perfect. I was really pleased with him. Um, But he bought the script from last time. He bought episode three with them. so... I had to just give him a regular one without the big fonts and without his entrance. I, the guy who I made it for bought the wrong script with him. So Saturday or Friday night, I went to my sister's, and you know we party, and we had a pretty good time, and I slept over, and then on Saturday, which is the Saturday before the show, even though I'd like to do it before. I mean, I probably should do it before so people get the scripts, but I know they aren't going to read it until that day before anyway. I email it to them so they can read it online, But then I give them the physical scripts usually the Saturday before the show. And I travel all around. So I started in Staten Island, and I gave it to Irene. And then we got manicures. (laughs) Well, let me – the epitome of Dave Jaskow. Went to Staten Island. Irene and I got manicures. And then after I left her, I went to that bar to pick up on my Super Bowl winnings, like the Staten Island bar – Real tough guy bar. I mean, a real tough guy bar. Like it's just disgusting. It smells like vomit, but that's where we do that Monday night pool. And we, we won and I had left my money. And we won 500 bucks. So I went there to pick up the money after I got a manicure, which is, I mean, I mean, there it is. That's the, uh, the complete Dave Just going a package. Uh, then I went to Brooklyn to drop off, uh, the script at DC Benny's. And then I went into Manhattan and then, and then it was already late at night. Cause I got a late start. Cause I was trying to have lunch with my niece. Uh, the, the more the more fun one, who is more fun by the way, she's seventeen. This is Liza who's not fun on the podcast, but uh she is a- it, having lunch with her i'm talking to a normal teenage girl she's telling me the gossip in high school she's telling me the boyfriend, the girlfriends you know i don't get any of that from dory it's just i'm like how, how you doing at school good how you doing good what times your ballet good it's like it's uh it's uh Frustrating, although on the podcast, she's good. But, you know, so this was much more the way it's supposed to be. And then, so I got a late start. So it was already dark, but I didn't care. I was having a good time dropping it off. Then I went to the Lower East Side, drop off at Todd's. I'm not telling everybody's address. And then um, I went to the Comedy Cellar to drop off for Rachel. And then I stayed there for a while and talked to everybody. And then uh, for some reason, I walked Lynn Coplett's home. I don't know if you know her. I've always been attracted to her. So I walked her home. I was like, hey, listen, you got any iced tea? She's like, get lost. Right. Uh, so then I went back, and then I went all the way up to the Upper West Side, dropped off Bethel's. Then I went to the East Side, dropped off Paul Mercurio and Mateo, and then Natterman. Um, all, like, all that. And by the time I finished, it was like midnight already. And I'd pretty much been up, like, all night. I hadn't really slept very much, so I was exhausted. But it was a good exhaustion. I was like, I felt like I accomplished stuff that day. And uh, I was very happy with the script at that point. So I felt like I didn't need to do anything else. I, I, I felt everything was in final and, you know, because remember, I was uptight about it. But then I got to a point where I was feeling really good about it. So, yeah, that's the thing. You spend all that time. I deliver all the scripts to everybody. And then, of course, somebody's going to forget to bring it, which is just really a bummer. He bought the wrong one. So classic. I guess he just keeps leaving it in the envelope or something. But he did a great job, and it was really fun. Oh, and Todd Barry. Todd Barry, my God, he was great. He did a great job. You know what's funny? He was actually kind of the best actor out of everybody, which is odd because, you know, I uh, tailored it for Todd so he doesn't have to raise his voice, but he was a funny Carlo, and he really made sure he did the lines right. You know, he was in The Wrestler, the movie The Wrestler, and he did such a good acting job. You know, it was a pretty serious role in a way, even though he, was, he, he lent... You know, he did it his way, but it was really good. I don't know if you remember, he played, like, Mickey Rourke's boss for a period of time. And he was so good at it. So he's actually a pretty good actor. But I tailored all the lines so it was made for Todd. You know, they're like, you know, you never change the inflection of your voice when you tell me you're going to kill me or whatever. And um, he's like, that's all Todd Barry, baby. Yeah. What's up, dummy? So, yeah, he did a good job, and I think the audience really liked it, and um, I should be pleased, but, you know, I know I'm going to listen back, and I'm going to be like, God damn it, God damn it. Do you see why that didn't, why the audience isn't laughing? Because you didn't figure it out. But I got to look past that. I got to look past it uh, because I know it worked as a whole, and Natterman hit the he hit the second-to-last line perfectly because in rehearsal he couldn't figure it out, but he can't, the last line, <laughs> Apollonia blows up, and then he's like, and, and then... Michael gets up, dusts himself off, and says, he's supposed to say, God, what a week I'm having. And, and then we play the full house music. But he's like, what a week I'm having. Yeah, I don't know. It just it wasn't, ugh. It's like he's, he's not understanding. Listen, this is the last line. It's got to be big. And then we play the full house music. But I don't know. He doesn't seem to get it. And it's funny because when we tell him to do certain things, a certain way, Gnome's always laughing at him too because even though Gnome loves him, we all love him, but he just doesn't, I don't know, he's weird. Rachel was like, he won't touch me. I'm trying to hold his hand. I'm trying to dance with him. You know, like He just won't even look at me. I'm like, I don't know, he's nervous I guess or he's trying to stick to the script. That's probably what it is. He's probably just paying attention which I totally understand where as Rachel is like, she doesn't care if she loses her place. She just will improvise and doesn't give a shit and Dan I think is a little more nervous or more conscious to Making sure he stays with what we're doing. need that. Um, right. So on Sunday, well, okay, uh, let's see. All right. I did Artie's podcast on Sunday because I texted Artie, and I'm like, what's happening? I haven't heard from you. And then he of we started taking him back and forth, and um, that was nice because I hadn't heard from him in a while, but I didn't realize he was out in L.A. for two weeks. So then Dan goes, can you do the podcast tonight? It's you and Mario. And I'm like, and I don't mind going with Mario, except that I do, because I don't know. Sometimes I just want to be by myself, but I can't deny. It's just, it's brilliant what he does to Mario and and the way he picks on him, and it's hilarious. So it's totally worth it. So he said, listen, we're going to have Mario over. Bichetti's going to call in, and we're going to watch the Oscars and Crashing. And I'm, I was like, yeah, I don't like going out Sunday nights. I got a show. And you know how nervous he gets. He goes, that's what you said last time. And last time you said you should have done it. And I'm like, maybe you're right. And then I was like, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to be sitting in my house. I'm going to be pressured for the Oscars. At least here we can have a good time. Everybody knows I got bets on the Oscars. We can have a good time. But Artie got so upset that I was concentrating on the Oscars. Uh, and you can hear it on the podcast. I, I usually turn off my phone. When I'm at Artie's because I know he doesn't like when he sees people looking at their phones. And I totally get that. But he knew I had bets. So I was looking at my bets the whole time. And I thought that's what the whole podcast was supposed to be about. Gambling degenerate people. And then he got angry and turned off the TV. You know, while I was. Because I had a lot of money riding on it. And I made a lot of money. I ended up making $800 on the Oscars. They were making fun of me at the bookie place because they're like, hey, that fruit won 800 bucks from the Oscars. Like, apparently I'm the only one that bets the Oscars. So I had a lot of bets and I was really enjoying myself. And then he just turned it off because he was mad. I was looking at my phone and uh, I was and I was really upset. I'm like, really? I thought that's why we're because then I wouldn't have come over. I was there because I wanted to. I didn't want to watch the Oscars. I just wanted to win my bets. But if that was, if you know, if he was going to be that way, and I, I get it, he gets, you know, he's like, hey, I'm doing a bid here, you got to pay attention, and I understand. But I thought this particular time, that was understood. But uh, then we finally turned it off after I pretty much, um, you know, finished everything I was betting on, and that was when Mike Pachetti called in and already just kept hanging up on him, and it was so funny because it's just funny to pick on. Pachetti kept calling in, he goes. I just want to tell you, crashing is amazing because I like the pacing of it. And then he just hangs up on him. and he goes, Mike, and he called back, Mike, I'm so sorry. Um, I, you were talking about the pace. He goes, yeah, I, I like the pacing. And, he, and then he just hangs up on him again. And he kept calling back. He goes, and, but he kept calling back. He's like, yeah, there's something wrong with our phone lines. And finally, by the fifth time, he's like, I think you guys are messing with me. Um, it was really, really funny. Uh, but so, yeah, wait, let me give you my my bets and then of course we'll talk about oh my god um i wrote them down yeah check this out right all right so as you know as all of you know a month ago i said if you can put your now what is dave just got dave Dave Juskow has made you money already on 2017 he told you the patriots in the over and he told you the white helmets best documentary short take it and you can take that to the bank they've just got put a hundred dollars on it and it pays 425 and it won now on sunday afternoon that line went down to minus uh 110 which means i had to like a normal bet i had to put up 55 to win 50. And I had already had like a hundred, so I, I was gonna put another hundred because if it went down and it became the favorite, I'm like, oh my god, something's happening. But what I found out yesterday is that I was the one that moved the line. I was the only one betting on the Oscars. <laughs> so I moved the line. And that like I told you I might, but I kept checking and I'm like, it hasn't moved, it hasn't moved, and then Sunday morning. It did move because I moved it and then I put more money on it because I thought, oh, maybe there's other people betting on it, but apparently I think they only make the lines for me. <laughs> it just they're like, oh, this idiot, but I don't know. This has been my year and I've been betting smart, right? So I put an extra fifty bucks on that. Now, the best live action short film I took Sing. I don't know what the hell that is. I don't know what it is. I just looked it up. It was plus seven hundred dollars. I put twenty bucks on it and went one forty. So then it went down to plus 350. I put another 20 bucks on it. I won 70. So what is that? 210. So at 210 plus 475, you're already kicking ass, right? Then this is unbelievable. Uh, I saw that the best language foreign film was going to be the salesman, but it was minus 175. So it was risky. I only put 25 on that. I had to risk 44. So I was a little nervous, but I went for that and that won. Uh, but here's the best one. I put a bunch of $10 bets on a lot of shit, right? So, like I put best film editing. Uh, if Arrival had won, best film editing. If Arrival it was plus $1,500, so I would have won $150 for $10. Uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff. Um, if Fences had won best adopted screenplay, I would have won $250 on a $10 bet. So it was totally worth betting these little ten dollar bets because one of them came in best costume design went to fantastic beasts and where to find them plus twenty five hundred dollars so a ten dollar bet won me two hundred and fifty dollars i'm telling you it was a spectacular night but the funny thing is i lost on denzel washington i could took a chance for him for just 50 bucks and um It it ended up being Casey Affleck because there there was all these rumors during the day like, oh, Denzel's going to win because Casey Affleck is someone's sexual harassment chart. I I don't know what was happening. But I lost that one, which pissed me off because I was just winning, winning, winning. Uh, But it's funny. I was going to bet the best picture something else because La La Land was so heavily favored. I'm like, I'm not going to bother. And that's why I didn't bet anything. I'm like, no, that's going to win. It's clearly going to win. It's going to win. And then, as we know, what happened? Now, I mean, this is unbelievable. This is what I was talking about last night. Uh, I, you know, I was doing a bit like l- as if I was at the Super Bowl uh, at the bar. You know, the guy drives me home at halftime. I turn the TV off, and then I get a call. Dude, I can't believe you won! And I'm like, What are you talking? What are you a fucking idiot? <laughs> you know? Yeah, the Patriots the one and they covered. I'm like, Oh, you? Oh, okay. Like I'm a douchebag. And you want me to believe the Patriots came back, scored 25 points in one quarter, and then won the game. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. It was amazing. Right, right. You know what? If I went shit out of you, I'll squeeze your head. You know what I mean? Like I could just see yelling at somebody like that. So Sunday, I'm at Artie's, and as soon as they announce Best Picture, I get in my car, and I get downstairs, and I'm, I'm – around, I get a phone call from Dan, artist producer. Goes, Dave, you're not going to believe what happened. Moonlight ended up winning Best Picture. I'm like, Dan, you must think I'm a fucking. What are you recording this? You are getting a big laugh out of this? And he's like, No, no, it's unbelievable. They named the wrong name. I'm like, Dan, I'm not a fucking moron. Okay, this is not Mike. Mich- I mean, I was. Scree- I was like, you're. An, you must be a fucking jack. There's no way I'm buying any of this. Why would I ever buy it? That was amazing. This kind of shit is fantastic. Fuck everybody. Fuck all that. What the fuck do I get that the Falcons lose? They're still millionaires. You think I give a shit that I feel sorry for La La Land because they named the wrong thing? They're all millionaires. Who gives a shit? This is perfect. This is exactly what this country needs to to take a little steam off and have some action that doesn't hurt anybody. Oh, but it'll hurt the producers of La La Shut up the moonlight another beauty but let me tell you something so so i'm in the car and i'm going crazy because then i get a text from my new manager vanessa and she goes what what's happening and i'm like wait this is really happening so i'm going home and i'm looking for anything that's live news programs but they're they're giving me nothing i go serious satellite radio is the worst i wish howard stern had retired because i really want to get rid of it they have no live content on the weekends. None. So I, not even CNN was live. They were showing some documentary on Jesus, and that's what was playing on the radio. I could not get any information. It was killing me. And then, as you know, I got to park my car in the garage. Then I got to walk home, and i listen to the radio. I'm trying. Come on, something's got to give. Something. I'm listening to 1010 Wins. I'm listening to CBS. Nothing. So I'm dying. I, I I gotta know. I immediately come home. I put on the After Show. It's that idiot uh, who's in that blackish. I think A- Anthony Anderson. And they're doing these bits. And I'm like, are you fucking morons? Get me. What is happening over there? Finally, I turned on E. They had live stuff and they were talking about it. And then, you know, thank God I DVR'd it. Because I swear I would have died. I needed to see the full thing. And I got to fast forward to three hours. But then when I finally get there, I was standing the whole time. I never sat down. I'm, I'm dying to see this, you know. Because this is Great. I'm dying to see how it all went down because I was watching it, and I'm like, what just happened? You know, I saw Warren Beatty, and I'm like, what an asshole. And I mean, this you just couldn't ask for anything more, you know, like, who gives a shit? You people suck. And uh, let's take a listen.
0: And the Academy Award... For best picture. You're impossible. Awesome. <laughs> Come on. La La
1: Land. Yeah! La La Land has 14 Oscar nominations this year. All right, now hold on a second. You have this blunder. Now, now you heard in the Sammy Davis one, when he made the blunder, now that's what I played up top, I'm sorry. This happened once before in 1964. And Sammy Davis, who was so wasn't he the best? He's doing those imitations, they're great. And then when he messes up, well he doesn't mess up, he got the wrong envelope. And I let the whole thing play because as you can see, the next one he did, he got the envelopes mixed up or it's not his fault, or maybe it is, whatever. And the next one was the guy who won. And then he goes, Well, guess who? You know, so but what happened was why there was silence, the band leader is going, Dude, what's I don't Because he said, and the winner is, you know, Tom, Tom, Jones, whatever it is. And the the band leader sitting there, if you see it, he's like, we don't I think you said the wrong. We're not prepared. We're not prepared for that. And that's why Sammy knew something was wrong. And how about that quip, that quick quip like, oh, NAACP is going to hear about this. You know, I mean, that's so funny. I mean, guys, he was the best. So it's so funny because Jack Lemmon says he's uber talented. And then he, he comes on stage and he like is. Um, I mean, that's such a funny thing to say. And um, so what I'm saying is the band wasn't prepared. So they announced La La Land. The band is playing. And they, I, I feel like they must know what is going to win because they need to know what to play. And then that lady talking says, this is La La Land 7 with 16 nominations." How does she know what to say? Because then she, because listen.
0: And is tied for the most nominated movie in Oscar history, winning seven Oscars. Production design, cinematography, original score, song, directing, actress, and best picture.
1: And best picture. I mean, what is she making that up off the top of her head? What, I mean, is anybody talking about that? How is that lady saying all that stuff if that's not the actual best picture? Where is she getting that information? Is she that cool? That Who is this woman? Is she that good at improviser? She's just reading off a card like she has five or what, how many, ten different cards there? No matter what win she chooses, that doesn't maybe she have the information backstage, right? You know what I'm saying? Isn't that weird? a little bit let's get back to the action and it is awesome action thank you thank you thank you all. Um, thank you to the Academy. thank you to <laughs> Lionsgate, thank you to our incredible cast and crew. We're all up here right now. Oh my God, I'm so excited for this guy. This is awesome. Oh my God, what a great guy. He really deserves it. Matt Pluff, you kicked this off. And Damien Chazelle, we're standing on your shoulders. We lost by the way, but you know. <laughs> he lost by, my... that is epic. <laughs> guys, well, I'm
0: sorry, no, this, there's a mistake.
1: Moonlight, you guys won best picture. I, this is not
0: a joke This up. is not a joke I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. <laughs> Moonlight best picture. Okay. I think you guys should keep it anyway. Oh it's Warren I'm sorry Guys. This is a very unfortunate what happened. Personally, I blame Steve Harvey for this. I would like to see you get an Oscar anyway. Why can't we just give I, out a whole bunch I, of I, them? I'm going to be really proud to hand this to my friends from Moonlight. That's Thank nice you. of you. That's very you. Nice. you. Yeah. Uh, hello, hello. I, I once. Warren, what did you do? I want to tell you what happened. I
1: opened the envelope, and L- listen to that silence. They are, they are waiting with bated breath to hear what he has to say. Let's go back to because that's amazing. He silenced that crowd. Everybody wants to know.
0: To tell you what happened, I opened the envelope, and it said, "Emma Stone, La La Land." That's why. I took such a long look at Faye and at you. I wasn't trying to be funny. <laughs> well, you were funny. That Thank you very, very much. Thank yeah. you very much. Wow, this is... This um... is Moonlight, the best picture. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, as you know, now... We know that there's this major tool who's a partner at Price Cooper, you know, who does all the uh, stuff. and, and, And he apparently asked if he could tweet during the show. And his superiors said, what are you, a fucking idiot? You got one job. Don't tweet, you jackass. Now, right there, you take the guy off and say, like, you know what? Let's not use this guy. He's obviously out of his mind. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do because this guy's obviously a jackass. But they didn't. So, uh what's his name here? Brian Cullinan. And yeah, so he was tweeting the whole time and he and he mixed it up. And war Now for there's there's so much stuff that's happening. Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway were fighting. Warren Beatty wouldn't go out with Faye Dunaway for the rehearsal. So maybe that also had something to do with that they were fighting for God knows what reason. They probably been fighting for 40 years. And uh, and he wouldn't. And then later, Warren wouldn't release the envelopes. Like I think he had both moonlighted, moonlighting, moonlight, moon. What is it now? <laughs> Whatever. And La La Land in his hand, and he wouldn't give it back. And security, he was getting on an elevator. Security's like, Warren, we're going to need those envelopes. He goes, Go fuck yourselves. I want fucking. I'm keeping this. It's proof that I didn't fuck up. It's beautiful. Fuck that security. Oh, we need those. Like, yeah. Fuck you. I'm Warren Beatty. I'm doing that same thing. I'm like, no, you guys messed up and I'm keeping the evidence, jerk offs. Go go arrest me then. You fucking, I, it, it bothers me so much that they were trying to like, yeah, I'm so glad he kept it. He's badass. He's also paranoid as shit too, but I love that he kept it. And then Faye Dunaway was at, a, at a, one of the parties and she was quoted as saying like, I messed up or I think she even said I fucked up. Uh, but you know, Warren just, let her have it. He didn't say any. It wasn't his fault. He saw it. Saw there was a mistake. Now technically, he should be like, "Something's wrong. This is the this says the best actress." So the question is: Now, first of all, that's not his job. He doesn't have to say, "Hey, you guys messed up the envelope." But if he really hates Faye Dunaway that much, he threw under the bus was showing her the thing, probably saying, uh, "Just say what's on the card." <laughs> he showed it to her, and she's like, "Oh, La La Land." It's so funny how she didn't see, like, oh, Emma Stone. I mean, I guess I could, if she hadn't said anything, if she had said, oh, this is the wrong car, and everything would have been okay. But Warren, I think he wanted to mess her up, which was really, really classic. God, it was great, wasn't it? So exciting. Two major television events in the first two months of the year where the ending was as good as advertised man that never happens the oscars are the worst you gotta wait till the best picture and then you're disappointed and there's nothing happening and this time wow next year everybody's gonna wait until <laughs> the ending let alone the super bowl i mean really if the ncaa tournament goes like this i mean this is gonna be you know what you know what we gotta do everybody now, this is your pal Dave Jessica. Now, we don't know who's going to be in that tournament tournament yet because it's on Selection Sunday, which is coming up pretty soon. But we do know this. It's going to be a hell of a ride. No, uh, I think we got to take an underdog. I think we got to take like a – I mean, okay, how about this? Is this the year and it's never happened before? A 16 seed beats a one seed? I mean, should we – I mean, look what's happening Right? Is this the year we pick a 16 seed to beat a one seed? Is this it? Is this the first time in history this is going to happen? Or better yet, just like, let's take a, well, that's happened before, but like, you know, like we, we need like a 12 seed to win the whole thing. I mean, that's the only way it could compete. A 16 seed going all the way would be the only way it could compete with what just happened Sunday. And two Sundays before that. I mean, this is great stuff. And this is the way it's supposed to be because it doesn't hurt anybody except that complete douchebag from Price Cooper's, And it's all his fault. He's a jackass. He's tweeting. He's not doing his job. What an asshole. So he deserves everything he gets. Uh, I can't wait for this guy to resurface. I can't wait to see who he's going to blame, even if he says he's my fault. And you know what the Oscars should do? Fire Price Water, whatever their name is, Price Cooper Waterhouse. Fire them because they have one. It doesn't matter if it's that guy's fault or whoever. Fire them. They have one job every year, and they couldn't do it. And when, I've, I've, how many times do I say this about baseball? They pay these guys $100 million, and if you think about it, they only do their job one-third of the time maybe. Usually they strike out or whatever, but they're not getting, you know, if, you, if you're not batting 500, then you're not even doing your job half of the, you're only doing your job half of the time you're getting 500. So if you're not have a 300 average, which is, you know, a, a pretty good one, you're only doing your job one third of the time. And here they're asking you to do one job one time and you couldn't complete it properly. Well, then you deserve to be fired. And what do we care? We don't make that kind of money. Uh, one of the other things that Artie and I were talking about, of course, was the 50 comics list again. Because he made some outstanding points of people that aren't listed. Because we were talking about that last week. And we were just talking about it and the fact of David Tell. But he mentioned Norm McDonald. Oh, my God. Norm MacDonald is a spectacular comic. He's, uh, what was the example that, oh, I had the best example, Dane Cook. And I'm only saying it because if you're going to put Aziz Ansari or whatever you pronounce his name on this list, who is kind of a now very big comic, Dane Cook was as popular or more popular than, uh, Dane Cook was Louis C.K. popular 10 years ago. So if you're saying of all time, how could Dane Cook not be that list? Because Aziz, we may not hear from him in 10 years. You, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't think Dane Cook bel- belongs on the of all time, but maybe he does. I mean, he was uber popular for about five, five seven years. And then who knows what the hell happened? And he was selling out all the guards and stuff. That's why I said Andrew Dice Clay. How do you not put Andrew Dice Clay? Do I think he's the best comic of all time, even the 50? No. But he was selling out the guard. I mean, that's clearly your criteria. Aziz isn't the best comic in any way, shape, or form, but he sells out Madison Square Garden. He's not a crafted stand-up comic. He's he's annoying, but he sells tickets, and he's very, very popular. So if it's a popularity contest, is that what you're saying? Redefine it. But somebody, you know, uh, Artie was talking about Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller is a spectacular stand-up comic. So the question is, again, are you talking about structure? Are you talking about a stand-up comic that is amazing, who is really good who if you go to see Dennis Miller at least back in the before he became a, a you know a devout republican you were amazed by Dennis Miller's command of the English language and how he would rope a story where you'd actually be dozing off through half of it but when it came around again you were like whoa i saw him do that multiple times he's an amazing comic and he should totally be on this list more than anybody because if we're talking about structure and an actual best stand-up comic you know not just somebody who happens to be famous you know and, and if it's not a popularity contest but norm mcdonald should be a. what about okay you ready jay leno i hate jay leno but he was one of the best stand-up comics he was really good he was completely known as a stand-up comic, and even after he did the tonight show, he still performs stand-up comedy all over the country. How is he not how does a guy who's known as a stand-up comic who does stand-up comedy for 30 years, then becomes host of the tonight show for 20 years not belong on that list? John what about Jon Stewart? John Stewart was a phenomenal stand up comic before he got the Daily Show. Bill Maher, Bill Maher is still a great stand-up comic this all came to me recently what about David Brenner I mean I couldn't stand that guy but that guy kind of started it all in many ways he was one of the first and he was very very popular Uh, you know in the end he was just absolutely horrible and of course I Bring to example my favorite story, and I don't know whether I ever told that on the podcast before. But there is a HBO special that he did in two thousand, and I'll never forget because Sarah and I were watching it together, and we couldn't even believe our eyes. David Brenner had he, you know, he had one of the first HBO specials like ever. Or Robert Klein maybe, but maybe him both did. So he they gave him another one way after his prime. And when I say way after his prime, I'm talking 30 years after his prime. In 2000, this guy was popular in the early 70s. But he was uber popular. Remember, he used to host The Tonight Show a lot. So that's, and he was a comic on The Tonight Show for years. So he should be on this list. But, so, but this might have tarnished him. This special in 2000, they play it all the time. It's called David Brenner, Back with a Vengeance. Maybe the worst title of what you're not going to see comedy special ever. It's up there with mine. Get ready to laugh. <laughs> but this was a horrible, horrible show. You can see it. HBO, Back with a Vengeance. Now, here is the premise. Now, first of all, the opening is is everybody saying hello to? Oh hi, Mister B. Oh you're back, Mister B. Oh hi. I mean, I talk about that all the time. But here's the. This is the premise of the show. This is the premise of the show that they, HBO was like, it's going to be unbelievable. It's in all the papers. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. It was live. I think. It must have been. Was it live? Maybe it was live. Whatever. If it wasn't alive, it was taped a day before. So the premise was that he was only going to do. He was trying to be Louis the way louis is now he was trying something different and he was saying i'm doing a tv special where i am only going to talk about news topics that were in this week's papers news topics that were in this week's news and this week's paper great idea i mean that's something louis could tour on you know if, if louis started fading out he could tour and say, I'm going to go to every city and own, and do completely new material on just this week's topics. And that's what David Brenner did. And that's what he said he was going to do. And he does an hour-long special where he does none of that. None of that. It was the biggest scam in the history of any kind of comic performance of all time. And how he feels okay... With letting that happen, like, you know, I don't think he said, I'm going to scam everybody, and it certainly wasn't a joke. I think he thought he did a great job. And this guy was so ridiculously full of himself, I guess, that he's dead now, so I can say all this, but... um I mean, he did none of that. I remember the special vividly in the sense of him going like, you know, I read about this lady in the paper, and she said that, and that, that was a joke that he probably got, and probably, first of all, it probably wasn't even in the paper, and he just said, some lady in the paper. He didn't talk about politics. He didn't talk about anything. All his stuff was scripted and prepared a year in advance. He talked about nothing of what was going on that week. Nothing. Not even one thing. It was the worst special of all time in that sense. The question is, if you watch it now, not knowing the premise, I don't know whether they say it on the thing, does it hold up? Now, I can't imagine it could hold up at all because all of his shit wasn't funny at all. And it ends with him marrying his wife, who I think he later got divorced to, which is why it's ridiculous, him marrying his wife at the end of the show and a rabbi flies down on a harness from the from the top of the venue and flies down and marries them I mean this was I get the idea that's a great idea but this but first of all you gotta you gotta be hilarious to then pull that off and then people would be into it but you just put the people through an hour of snooze fest horrible comedy and now you're just trying to save the show with this but I gotta say when Me and Sarah were watching. We're pretty high. We were having a good time. (laughs) You know what? We're like, oh, my God, is this really happening? Um, So it brings back good memories in that sense. But he sucks. And the only reason I feel bad about mentioning is because he was very, very close with one of my very good friends, Rick Newman, who I love very much, who I actually talked to yesterday. He was the guy that started Catch a Rising Star and... um, used to manage Pat Benatar. I'm sure I've talked about him on the show. I've actually wanted him to have him on this show because he's a living legend and he really is my pal and I like him so much and he likes me, which I got to tell you, makes me so happy. And uh, he married one of the waitresses from Catch Rising Star and I like her and she's actually Holland Taylor's personal assistant now, which is uh, so random. But... Uh, that's the only reason I wouldn't want to burn him. But now that he's dead, I guess it's okay, right? But, yeah, this sucked. And, uh, but, 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 <laughs> you know, why did he get that special? Why would HBO give this old man a special? Because he was kind of a living legend. And really, one of the best 50 comics of all time. Kind of. He, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Artie brought up David Spade. David Spade is a is a, a professional comic. Again, it doesn't matter whether you like them or not. These are good professional standards. I could see leaving them off that list, fifty of all time. But I'm just—he was making a suggestion. Uh, what about Sandra Bernhard? She's not a great comic, but she was popular. She was injured. We, me and my friend Lawrence went to go see her. I've talked about it before. She was the Sarah Silverman of her day. I mean, she wasn't hot, as hot, hot, (laughs) but uh, I mean, there was certainly a sexiness about her. But my friend Lawrence and I, we went to go see her in like 1992 because why did, how did we know about her? I mean, why would two straight boys from New Jersey go to see a female comic back then? Because we saw her on all her Conan, or or rather her Letterman appearances when she was at the 1230 spot. And she was so funny. We're like, let's go see her. That's why I was like, there's probably, Boys, are you know that were our age back then that went to go see Sarah Silverman's Jesus's Magic Show? Why? How did you know about Sarah? Oh, she was on Conan all the time. So why, if Sarah Silverman is on that show, why can't Sandra Bernhard just? Just because Sandra Bernhard doesn't really work that much anymore, is that the criteria that we made for that? So I'm just saying, you know what I need to do obviously is just compile another list, do it for the Huffington Post, and. Definitely talk about that guy. Oh, you know what? Before we leave, there was uh, one thing I wanted to say uh, about the Oscars again. Uh, it's so funny. On the Friday before the Oscars, the Post had a, a headline that said, Fool's Gold. And this is what we were talking about last week, and this guy, Reed Tucker, wrote about it. Recent Oscar winners took home trophies, but no one wants to watch them again. Remember, we we had a whole thing that we had to go back 20 years before you actually want to watch Titanic again. I was just saying that's the one. I mean, I like it, but I'm saying that's one people watch over and over again, and it's the most popular. He says, um, the film that walks away with the best picture statue on Sunday's Academy, and let me tell you something. La La Land in that sense should have won because maybe you could watch that. Nobody's watching Moonlight. No one is ever watching Moonlight again. I mean, are we going back to... You know, actually, I'd like to see Spotlight again. I thought that was a good movie. But am I ever going back to see Birdman again? No. Uh, but he says... Anyway, anyone watched last 2016's Winter Spotlight lately? Plan on revisiting 2012's The Artist every year? Remember, I, we were talking about The Artist. What a joke. It's pretty clear that recent Best Picture winners probably won't have the cultural longevity of past honorees such as Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, and The Sound of Music. Uh, But he goes on to say that uh, the HBO premiere of the 2015 Best Picture winner, Birdman, for example, averaged only 681,000 viewers, including those watching later on DVR, according to Nielsen. There are more people on your morning seven train. Spotlight sold 35,626 Blu-ray copies. That's it. The Star Wars, The Force Awakens sold 3.4 million. I mean, this this is exactly what we were talking about. Here's a guy that completely gets it. That, you know, we're just like, these films are just horrible. Something has gone horribly wrong. And, um, you know, last year we went over the uh, best actor list, which was so much fun. And we went from 1970 to 2016 because you and I my friends who listen were saying, why is Leonardo DiCaprio getting a best actor award for the remnant? It's it's okay. But we knew it was a lifetime achievement award. He was just do, do Susan luching it up and he was just do, do, do. And he just got it. So we compiled the list of who was deserving of an award, who was getting a lifetime achievement award, like Al Pacino incentive, a woman who won for, a single-handed performance like Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs, and who won because there was nothing else that year, like uh, Richard Dreyfus in the goodbye car, who was wonderful, but I'm saying he was not up against a lot of competition. He was up against Woody Allen, and uh, quite frankly, the person who should have won, John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever, but whatever. Uh, So that's it. I mean, I would like to go back and look at the best picture, but the thing is, what I noticed when I was doing it, it's not that great because... A lot of the best picture. Well, we know there's a lot of stinkers, but as you go further and further back, there's less. Remember now, there's like I don't know how many movies come out a year, but back then, if you're talking about pre-1990, you know, not as many movies came out as do today. You know, with independent films and all that stuff. So the pickings were a lot better. Certainly, there were years where things weren't that great, but you know it, it's a, it's a better list because there weren't as many films. But in that regard, if you're nominating ten films and they all stink, and there's not one of them you really want to see again, when you look at this year's Oscars nominations, I mean, all of them sucked. There's not one list uh, that I would ever watch again, or maybe at all. Uh, You know, Arrival was okay. Lawlands okay. Moonlight, what? Uh, Manchester by the Who's Who's gonna rewatch any of these movies? I mean, they're all horrible. The girl who won last year, do you even remember? She comes on stage and like, and now here's Brie Larson. Like, who? Who? Yeah, she won for Room last year. You know why she won? Because there was no competition. There was nothing else. Who? Who the hell is Brie Larson? So she's working on that King Kong movie now, but my guess is she got that because she won the Oscar. I, my guess is we'll never see her again. But it's interesting. The women who win Best Actress a lot of time, you know all the names, but a lot of time you know, with somebody like her, I don't, I don't think we'll ever see her again. I mean, what happened to uh, two-time Oscar winner, uh, oh, I can't think of her name, uh, Hillary Swank. Where the hell is she? She won twice. Where the fuck is she? What happened? You know, Kate Blanchett, we know where she, I'm just, this is off the top of my head, Kate Blanchett, Sandra Bullock even, I mean, they're all still working. Where, how do you win two Oscars and then you are not in, and quite frankly, the second Oscar she won, where was she before all that time? It seems like she only makes movies to win Best Actress. Funny thing is she'll probably come up 10 years from now, probably win another Best Actress again. The unbelievable and then people will be like, who the hell is wait, she's up there with like Catherine Hepper? What the hell is this? And she's still pretty. I mean, it's not like an old it's not like Helen Hunt, where I don't think she can work anymore because you know, she do not look that good. And hey, hey, don't get upset with me. I'm just saying it works in Hollywood and you know it. But she really doesn't look that good. But that all being said, I don't know, for some reason today, I was, you know, I was so hungover. This song was on my mind, and I've been like, uh, it's been in my head all day. Do, 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 do. Hey, everybody. Going all the way up there with uh, Al Jarreau. and, uh, this isn't Al Jarreau, it's uh, George Benson, but I'm just saying. It reminds me a lot of Al Jarreau. I was so happy. Howard Stern was talking about Al Jarreau. He came back from vacation, told about Al Jarreau dying, and, yes, he, uh, Do a lot of his stuff too, because you know he used to be a DJ. So, I like this song. I mean, I don't like. I never. I don't know. Today it was in my head for some reason. No idea why. Yeah, it's funky. What's happening, baby? I don't know why it was in my head. I'm trying to figure out why. where this came out in the 80s right gotta
0: turn your love around
1: oh it's a classic I like this song so listen um oh by the way uh yeah we were talking about crashing you know we were at Artie's house when we were talking about crashing a little bit but he didn't want to watch it Because, you know, he doesn't like watching himself and stuff. Because that's what I thought. Also, we were going to talk about crashing. But, you know, it's hard to do the podcast. First of all, I was really, I I wasn't good. I wasn't happy with the podcast. Um, But thank God Bichetti called in and that single-handedly say. I just wasn't happy with myself. I don't think I was adding anything. I guess I was too worried about my bets. And uh, whatever. But um, we were supposed to talk about crashing. But we did watch it. Uh, what did you think? I thought it was be- much better than the first episode. I thought it was really good. I thought Gina Gershon, she's still so sexy. But I thought it was a good episode, and I think it's getting; it's going to be better every week. Actually, uh, uh, not because I'm on it. I, I really can't wait to see this week. I, it's actually become a lot of fun. So, um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Artie was highly complimentary on Sunday. So, um, you know, about my part on the show, maybe, maybe they were... <sighs> Who knows? I I really don't know what to... You know, it's like, obviously, I can't wait to see it, but I'm also very uptight and nervous about it, too. I just hope I uh, did a good enough job to uh, do it again. But that's not until the 26th of March, but, uh, you know, every Sunday, there's something to do, which is always a good time. So next week, we will just be playing The Godfather Part 4. Hopefully, you'll like it. So we will come back to you in two weeks with an all-new podcast, and I hope you have a lovely week and weekend. Happy March, everybody. We'll see you next time on The Cast.